just so they could read along. Okay. Greetings from Farmington, Maine. It's good to be with you this morning and to bring God's word to you. If you would turn in your copy of scripture, we find it here on the screen to Genesis chapter 11. You're going to read for us this morning from verses 1 through 9. Here is the word of the Lord. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they have all one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad, and there over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. But when the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built, and the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there, over the face of the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. Then if you would turn over to Acts chapter 2, going from Old Testament to New Testament, we see God continuing his work among his people here on the day of Pentecost. And again, I read for you the holy, inspired, and inerrant word of God. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, 
Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. Let us give thanks for God's word this morning. O gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us and that your word is true. And so we pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear it, Give us hearts to obey it, or hearts to believe it, and wills to obey what you call us to in Christ Jesus. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Nearly 60 years ago, a man by the name of Yuri Gagarin was the first man to enter space. He was a Russian astronaut, or perhaps more technically, a cosmonaut. And it is reported that as he comes above the Earth, and he's the first, for the first time, to see the Earth from space, he's reported to have said, I looked, and looked, and looked, but I didn't see God. Now, to be fair, there is some debate as to whether Yuri actually said these words. There's some reports that he may have been a believer in Christ and that these words were little more than Russian propaganda of the time. But either way, these words are a very bold statement, are they not? They're a bold statement because they betray the arrogant pride of humanity. Yuri, if he indeed said these words, being the first man launched into space to move outside of the Earth's atmosphere and to orbit around this world that God created declared that God did not exist. As if he had explored the vast reaches of creation. How vast space is, is it not? I love the wintertime because we can look up into the heavens and see the stars a little bit brighter. They shine sharp in the night. And you marvel at the depth and the beauty and the magnitude of what God created. But God's heavenly throne is not sitting in the visible heavens. You could push to the outer limits of the universe. You could visit planet upon planet and not find God as a specimen for scientific investigation. And yet... 
And yet, everywhere in all creation, God makes himself known to us. In all creation, his eternal power and his glory are clearly visible for all to see. You know, there's something about human pride that says, if I just try hard enough, then I can get things all figured out. If I just work a little bit harder, if I'm a little bit more attentive, if I could just be a little smarter, then I could make myself like God. And in the profound irony of it, I think that I can make myself God-like. This, of course, this of course is the lie that Adam and Eve believed in the garden, isn't it? The lie that Adam and Eve acted upon as they took that fruit from the tree, listening to the word of the serpent instead of the word of God, their creator, and as they ate in disobedience. This is the lie that Cain believed that Cain's son Lamech and the exploding generations of Noah's day believed and acted upon as their hearts and actions of humanity became ever more depraved. It's the lie that Noah's children's children believed as they set their purposes on building this tower in Shinar, later known as Babylon, today known as Iraq. You know, that world of Noah's children's children was a unique time in history. For these people lived in a world that is radically different than the world that came before, before the flood, and then a world that we live in now. It was a strange transitional time as they came off the arcs into the wilds of a reshaped world and everyone united by a common language. And as these people, these sons and daughters of Noah, migrated down the slopes of Mount Ararat and headed west and settled in this plain of Shinar, that same lie of pride consumed them. And we see the same foolish pride of, Abraham, of Adam, of Cain, of Uri Gagarin, there's a technical word that we call this pride. It's the word hubris. It's not a word that we use every day, but it's a word that means excessive pride and self-confidence. And isn't that a great description of the people that they gathered to build this Tower of Babel? Human pride is a deceitful master, for it tells us that we can seek that we can find, that we can master an infinite God. It tells us that we who are dependent can define our own reality, construct our own safety. It tells us, it lies to us, telling us that we who are created by God can define our own purposes. This morning, as we consider the story of the Tower of Babel, 
this historical account, I want us to see how it shows us three lies of pride that assault us every day, but to also see the glory of Christ, your faithful Savior. These three lies of pride and the glory of Christ that answers it are these. First, pride tells us that we can reach God, but Christ says, I will come and find you. Second, pride tells us that we can make a name for ourselves, but Christ says, find your identity in me. And thirdly, pride tells us that I can secure my life, but Christ says, find your rest in me. You know, pride, that hubris of excessive pride and self-confidence says that we can reach God in our own strength. The tower builders believed this lie. They believed that they could seek, that they could find, and that they could master the infinite God. Genesis 11.4 tells us these words. Then they came, that is, the people came, and they said together, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. This tower that they wanted to construct was not any ordinary tower, but it was a ziggurat. It was a stepped tower that was shaped and looked like a mountain. And you can go through the ancient world and you can find examples of these ziggurat-style towers in almost every culture around the world. These mountains were built as a way to reach up beyond the limits of human height, of human reaching, to reach up high into the heavens. They wanted to build their way up to God so that they could control God, so they could control the things that they feared. They could control the weather, the crops, the dangers of a world in which they lived. This lie that we can reach God is a lie that we also hear daily. And it's even a lie that our hearts are tempted to believe. It's a lie that says that we are in control, that we are the masters of our own destiny, that we can affect change. It's the lie that says I can reach up to God, that I can serve God on my own terms, or I can serve God that I make in my own likeness, in my own image. But what this really is, is me claiming to be God. It's usurping God's role as creator and as king. But God sees man's pride as God sees man's heart. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. The Lord 
came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. We have to pause for a moment here and appreciate the humor of what is recorded for us in God's word. For it's really a slap in the face of the pride of the tower builders. This tower that was going to reach up into heaven, that was going to reach God, that was the pride of humanity. God comes down to see. He stoops so low to see this feeble, minuscule effort of the weakness of humanity. But you know, stooping down is exactly what God promises to do, isn't it? It's what God promises to do and did for us in Christ Jesus. In that beautiful historical event of the Son of God becoming man. The incarnation where the Son of God in glory became man to dwell among us. So that in our foolish pride, we would see and we would know a faithful Savior. Christ comes down And lifts us up. For in Christ Jesus, we see the glory of God. Not in the accomplishments of our hands. Not in the pride of our hearts. But in Christ Jesus. And we're reminded of this once again in the day of Pentecost as we read in Acts 2. Once again, God says, I will come down to you as the Spirit fell like flames on those who were gathered. Acts 2, 2 through 3. And suddenly there was from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested upon each one of them. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit, the gift of your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, to be a witness to you of your faithful Christ. Yuri Gagarin looked for God and didn't find him. But God has made himself known. He has made himself known in the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. He has made himself known by revealing himself and his acts and his works and his salvation and his word. He has made himself known to you by giving you his spirit and opening your heart, giving you life where you were dead in your sins. And so you are called to proclaim not yourself, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Pride tells us that we can reach God, but Christ says, I will come and find you. And what a beautiful reality it is that Christ sought us while we were dead in our sins, while we were enemies of God, while we tried to stand in our own pride. 
and he redeems us from it all. Secondly, pride says that I can make a name for myself. But Christ says, find your identity in me. This is the second lie that the builders of the tower believed, that they could make a name for themselves, that by their own labor, by their own hubris, they would be renowned in the world as the ones who reached God. They would prove their own power and their own glory. Again, to Genesis 11:4 They said, "Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves." This is the lie again of what Cain believed when he was sent out as a fugitive and as a wanderer, nevertheless building a great city and naming it for his son. Again, we want to pause for a moment and laugh at the humor, at the irony that is here in the text. Verse 3 tells us how they're going to build this magnificent tower. They said, come, come one another, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, for they had brick for stone and, and bitumen or asphalt for mortar. We use asphalt today. It's byproducts of petroleum, right? Of, of that black stuff that seeps out of the ground. And we use it for paving roads. Well, we know how well asphalt holds together in the roads that we pave. We've all hit those potholes and wished we hadn't. This tower they were going to build was not a tower of strength. It was not a tower of renown. It was not a tower of stone and mortar. It was a tower of bricks and asphalt. It was a tower that would crumble. It was a tower of foolishness. As they sought to build this tower, we can see in our own lives how we construct our identity with all kinds of crumbling things. All we have to do, the lie tells us, is to name it and we can be it. To decide with our minds and to actualize in this world what we want to be, who we want to be, what we want to do. But all that we are left with following that lie is a crumbling facade of brick and a road of potholes. For nothing we can make can compete with the image of God in which we were created. It is in this moment where God, stooping down so low, confuses the languages and gives humanity its name. These ancient pyramid mountains were often given names. 
They were given these grand names as they were trying to build up to heaven, like here is the stepping stone of God, or here is where we reached up to the heavens. In fact, the name of Babylon means gate of the gods. What a prideful name for a crumbling city. And God names it, though. God gives a name as God does. He named it foolishness. For after all, that's what human pride is. If we fast forward to look again at the day of Pentecost, we see something remarkable happen. We see a grand reversal of the confusion that God brought Suddenly, everyone can understand one another. Acts 2, verses 5 through 6. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this massive gathering Coming together, how are we going to communicate? How are we going to speak the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? How are we going to call men to repent and believe? God does it. Out of the diversity of humanity that comes together of this day from every nation, God makes it so there is not confusion but there was understanding. And it's interesting to note that God here, he doesn't erase the diversity, but he brings understanding by the Spirit. He brings unity of God's people in Christ Jesus. Just as the people of Babel made a name of themselves for themselves, a name of foolishness and confusion, just as Yuri Gagarin made a name for himself in his foolishness of declaring that God did not exist because he did not see him, we make names for ourselves. We build up ourselves. We create persona and identities and facades of who we want people to see us. What is the name that you give yourself? Where is it that you find your identity? Is it in your family? Is it in your work? Is it in the car that you drive? Is it in the diet that you are on? What is it that God has, or that you call yourself? But then again, what is the name that God gives you? Your God-given name is son and daughter. Your God-given name is heir to the promises of God in Christ Jesus. Your God-given name is Christian. 
It's really interesting to look a few verses ahead to Genesis 12, 2, where we meet Abram. And one of the very first promises that God says to Abram, he says, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. You see, you are who you are because you are created in the image of God. And it's the image of God that has been restored as Christ has redeemed you out of sin and death. Do you live for the name that you have created for yourself? Or do you live for the name that God has given you? Finally, this morning, the third promise that we see, or the third lie that we see with the promise of Christ that corrects it, is the the lie that pride tells us that I can secure my life. And the promise of Christ that says, come and find your rest in me. The people of Babel built this tower to build security and preserve their life. The very end of verse 4 tells us this very clearly. We build this tower lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Driven by fear, finding security in numbers, they do not trust the command of God to fill the earth and subdue it but they take matters into their own hands. They build a tower trying to reach into heaven. And if they could build this tower, if they could reach into heaven, what would harm them? Who could attack them? What a false sense of security. What a foolish hope Because finite humanity cannot know what the infinite God knows. Finite humanity cannot do what an all-powerful God can do. Finite humanity cannot give every good and perfect gift to those who are called according to the purpose and the glory of God. Just as those tower builders were driven by fear, fear drives us away from one another. Fear calls us, like Adam and Eve, to hide in the trees in the shadows. Fear calls us, like Cain, to build a city with protective walls around it. Fear calls us to assert our pride and entrench ourselves in our sin and our suffering as if it is a tower of strength. 
and motivated by fear, accompanied with real suffering, we deceive ourselves and we face that temptation not to see God in Christ Jesus, but to turn and to create a God in, for, and of ourselves. What does God do to the builders of the tower? Well, in verse 8 of Genesis 11, God dispersed them over the face of all the earth, and they left off building this city. The city was no gate of the gods. This city was no tower and monument to human accomplishment. But confused, dispersed, the city was left unfinished. But in stark contrast, we know that the work that God began is not unfinished. You see, from that dispersion of mankind, from their spreading over the face of the earth, God comes and he chooses one family. And from that family, he chooses one man. He chooses Abraham, his servant. That from Abraham, in a way that only God could do, from an aged man and a barren wife to bring a child, and from that child bring a great nation that in turn would be a blessing to all people and to all nations. God's purpose was not left unfinished. From Abraham came Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob to Moses, and Moses to David, and David to the prophets, all proclaiming the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, in the fullness of time, Christ came. Christ came not in the pride of power, but in the humility of a servant. Christ came so that out of the foolish confusion of dispersion in the midst of human pride and foolishness, that God would build a kingdom and a people for himself. A kingdom where you live because you are made alive in Christ Jesus. A place where you belong because you are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. A place where you rest. Secured not by the works of your hand not by the striving of your passions, but secured by the hand of God, delighting in what he tells you is good and true and beautiful. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we seeking rest in all the wrong places? 
Are we seeking rest like those nights that we've experienced where we toss and turn and we try this position and we try that position and none of them feels quite right and we think if only I can make myself comfortable, then I will get the rest that I so deeply crave. Or are you resting, finding your security, your peace, your life, and your hope in Jesus Christ. And with that, are you leading others to rest in Christ with you? You see the contrast here between the foolishness of human pride and the faithfulness of your holy God. You see, when you see Christ you see the foolishness of your pride and of your sin. But when you see Christ, you find the one living and true God, your creator and your redeemer, the one who seeks you out, the one who has found you and names you, and the one who says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This final hymn that we have in our bulletin tells us, as you probably know, as you're familiar with these words, Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. And indeed it can't. For when we rest in those things... We rest in the foolishness of human pride. But when we rest in Christ, we can sing as the hymn later tells us, I praise my God of grace. I trust his truth and might. He calls me his. I call him mine, my God, my joy, my light. Why? Because it is he who has saved me. And it is he who freely pardoned has given me in Christ Jesus. And so I love because he loved me. And I live because he lives. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your um, truth that we belong to you. And so we pray this morning that you indeed would help us to know that you have sought us. Help us to remember that you have named us and to find our identity in you. And help us to live in that rest that we can find only in the presence of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.